Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. And welcome back to those who've been traveling. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's to those who who are following us online. Uh, How many of you went up north for the for the winter break? How many froze up there? Come on. (laughs) How many are happy you live in South Florida? Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. I remember I visited uh, Ricky and Tati when they were in Germany. During the winter, I got off the plane. I was like, oh, my goodness, people live in this? I felt like I stepped into a freezer. So I'm just glad. I'm always glad to get back to South Florida. I don't care how hot it gets. I'm glad to be living right here. Amen? Well, last week we started a series that we have been calling First. Someone say First. And it's based on this, some several scriptures we're going to be going over, but it's based on the premise that, that as a country, you know, we like to be first. I mentioned that last week. First string in sports, first cheer in band, lead roles as opposed to understudies. The space race was all about being first to the moon back in the day, hence the astronaut and the graphics. I said, what if we applied that same zeal to our walk with the Lord? Come on, somebody. That same fervor that everyone has. That's why the Apostle Paul says, if you're going to run a race, run to win. Run to win. And again, he wasn't just talking about the Olympics or racing your buddy down the street. He was talking about our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, many people claim that they have time constraints as to why they can't or won't commit uh, further to the things of the Lord. And what I found that as it relates to the Lord, it's not necessarily a time issue, it's a priority issue. Come on, somebody. Because we all have the same amount of time, don't we? We all have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, you know, 30-some days in a month, whatever it is, and and, and, and in the year as well. But it's not about time, it's about priorities. It's about what we, what we, what we consider important in our lives. And uh, I found out that, it, you know, overall, you make time for what's important to you, don't we? Amen? And so the Apostle Paul revealed to us last week what was important to him. Now, mind you, Paul was Saul, and they, uh, uh, that was his Greek name. He, he started going by the Paul, his Hebrew name, but... Uh, I mean, Saul was his Greek, was his Hebrew name. He started going by Paul, his Greek name. He was against the things of the Lord until God knocked him down, and he had a revelation. Now, sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, for some people, you got to get knocked down to look up. Turn to someone and say, "Don't, don't wait to get knocked down." Come on, somebody. Let's not wait to get knocked down before we start looking up. And Paul went from being opposed to the church, even trying to kill the people of the church, to having this radical change in his life. And then he started living for the things of the Lord. And he tells us what his priorities were. Do you remember what they were? Right before he tells everybody to run to win, he said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? Help me out, somebody. To win as many as possible, to win as many as possible, to the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews, to those under the law I became like one under the law, 
So I myself not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Win, the, win to what? How many, how many ask somebody? Win to the Lord. Win to, the Lord. Win to uh, telling them about Jesus. Win to bringing them into, into the faith. He says, to those not having the law, I became like not one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak to, the, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means... I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so Paul had his priorities right where they needed to be. He was going to do whatever it took to win people for Jesus. That, when he got up in the morning, that was the first thing on his mind. And when he went to bed that night during his prayer time, that's what he was thinking about. How many people did I reach for Jesus today? Come on, somebody. Now, as we are making our New Year's resolutions this year, uh, I'm asking that question of us. Where are your priorities? Or where does winning people to the Lord fit in your list of things that you're going to do this year? Did it even make the list between losing weight making more money, driving a new car, wearing new clothes. Where is winning people to Jesus on your list? And if it's not on your list, I'm going to ask you to consider putting it on your list. If you missed last week's message, go back and listen to it. But today I want to keep in that same vein. Everyone tends to remember their first. Now why? Why? Well, of course, quite frankly, um, as odd as it might sound, it's... It, it's, it's what happens around that first that kind of sticks in your head. I, I remember my first camping trip with the Boy Scouts. I remember, I remember it because they camped us on a slight hill, incline, we put up our tent, and by the time the, and we pitched the tent, we put our sleeping bags in there. By the time the morning was, we were always halfway outside of the tent with the dew and the weather outside. We kept sliding out. We had to figure that out. During that time, I, I remember my first time learning how to swim. Because in New York, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on. So we, my mom signed us off for the camp, and we learned how to swim that, to get a little badge. During that same camping trip, we were challenged to, okay, now that you've learned to swim, and the next day they wanted us to swim for the mile swim, the mile swim. And uh, what was it? I can't remember what the, the, uh, the, the lake was or whatever it was, um, the river was. So my brother, just, me and my brother just learned how to swim, and we decided in the next day we were going to go swim a mile. Well, guess what? I got into that water and said, heck no, I'm not going to do this. And my brother went ahead and did it. And so I remember my first attempt at a mile swim, my first and last attempt at a mile swim. <laughs> so I remember my first 10-speed bike, blue gray swim uh, bicycle. I remember it because <laughs> 20 minutes later it was stolen. I remember my first car... It was white with blue stripes, 1967 Dodge Swing. I'd remember that no matter what. Even though I, at some point, you know, I was still young, I, I didn't put the oil in it properly and I blew up the engine. I remember uh, my first <laughs> Juicy Patty on a Jamaican mission trip, my first time back. Anyone know what a Juicy Patty is? You think the patties over here are good? Doesn't even compare with the juicy patty over there. I took a bite of that, my eye rolled back in the side of my head. Oh, snap, it was so good. I, the, the other day, we went to the zoo with the family, and 
And the kids reminded me, it triggered me of my first, we, uh, we went to the Palm Beach Zoo, but we, uh, a few years ago, many years ago, we went to Lion Country Safari, and they had a camel ride. And my uh, Christopher, who's like nine now, but he was a baby then, they talked me into going on the camel ride with him. Well, we got on this thing, we took a little picture in front of <laughs> the pyramid, and it was nice. <laughs> but when you're riding on a camel, it's got a hump on it. How many of you know, <laughs> riding on a hump, even around that one time, was like, okay, I'm done. I don't know how people ride through a desert riding on the hump of a camel. But I remember it vividly. I remember my first child. I've had four. But the one that sticks mostly in my head is our first one. It was, it was Amanda because she came out. First of all, the, the, the cord was wrapped around her neck. I remember that. But they, they, they took care of that. But she came out with these big blue eyes, and she was looking around. It's, it's in my head. I remember that. Now, we tend to remember our first things, our, our, our first crush, our first kiss. And whether they were good memories or bad, you remember your first love. And that's where I want to camp out this morning, only as it relates to our walk and our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about our first love? Believe it or not, it has something to say about this subject. Well, we know that when a person receives Jesus as their Savior, they experience something. They, they experience the delight of, of a first love sort of thing in their lives. God's Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are now children of God. And when that happens, something goes off in our spirit. Romans 8.15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his children, and because we have that spirit in us, it says now we have the ability to call on him as Abba Father. Someone say Abba Father. Okay, so Abba Father is, is, is an Aramaic word, and it's the tender word toward God. It's like us saying daddy. No other religion calls their, their God daddy. But the Bible says because we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the, the spirit that comes in us now, call, and because now we've been adopted as his family, as his children, we have the ability to call him Abba, Father. It says for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we belong to him. Now when that happens, we experience a newfound relationship which, begins, which brings us great joy and freedom, and that's what the Bible calls, when you become born again, that's what the Bible calls your first love. Now, unfortunately, over time, many Christians tend to fall away from their first love. And that starts to happen when we stop depending on him on the daily. We start going through, you know, I got this, I can work this out. We start working, uh, depending on our own intellect, our own abilities, our own talents. And, and we start to drift away from that relationship with him. And when that happens, our heart starts to grow cold. And, and Jesus addressed this issue when he spoke through John the Revelator to the church of Ephesus. He said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, 
and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So far, so good, right? Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you. Listen, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove that lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so what was the issue going on with the people in the church of Ephesus? The writer says uh, in Revelation that he wrote, uh, John got a revelation to the seven churches at the time. And when it says the, the church of Ephesus or Tarsus or wherever it is, that's basically the city in which the church was. And so if it was today, it would be, the, it would be addressed to the church in Fort Lauderdale or the church in Broward region. I mean, we like to say, okay, we have our own little church and we're living water and that's First Baptist over there and that's, you know, the Presbyterian church. No, as far as God's concerned, it's a regional church. He sees his people in this area. We are his church. So now he's speaking to the church in the city of Ephesus. And he says, this, this is what's going on with you guys. As far as he's concerned, you, you went from passionately following after the things of the Lord to dispassionately going through the motions. Yes, they were still going to church. And yes, they were still volunteering in the nursery. Yes, they were probably even giving of their tithes. But this was all outward stuff. They were dotting their I's and crossing their T's. But the God we serve doesn't just look at outward things. He looks at our hearts. Come on, somebody. And that's why the scripture tells us to rend our hearts and not our garments. It comes from the prophet Joel speaking the word of the Lord. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me, with, help me out somebody, with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And then he says in verse 13, to rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for his gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And so when it says to rend, rend means to tear. And at the time that the Jewish people at the time, they were famous for outward displays of emotion when something happened. If somebody died, if somebody was betrayed, if something you know, outlandish happened, what they would do is they'll take their clothes and they'll rip it to show their disdain or whatever's going on, their sorrow, whatever's going on in their hearts. And this was a common practice in, in, in the Jewish culture. Well, God is saying, rather than ripping your clothes, rather than tearing your clothes, tear your hearts. I want, the, I want your hearts. Because there are many who will honor God with their lips, the Bible says, but their hearts are far from them. And so not only was that happening back then in the time of Joe, how many know it happens today? You can turn on almost any reward show. And, and, and what's the first thing they want? They say, I, I want to thank God for, for, first thing I want to do is thank God. And if you see the, the body, whether it's rap music or whatever it is, the body of what they're putting out, the stuff that they're putting out is, quite frankly, crap. <laughs> okay? 
but they want to thank God for it. So in other words, they're, they're, they're paying lip service to God, but I, I, truly, is their heart there? If, if their heart was really there, would they be putting that nonsense out? And so the Bible says, so tear your heart and not your garment. Psalms 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalms 51, 17 says, the sacrifice you desire, the sacrifice God desires, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. One translation says, a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. He's drawn to a heart that's right with him. Just like marriages and relationships can grow cold over time due to neglect or inattention. Oftentimes, people say, well, I just fell out of love with him. I just don't feel it anymore. Well, the same thing can happen with people and their relationship with the Lord. You become cold. You become indifferent. You just start going through the motions. And, and before you know it, you may be here physically, but your heart is someplace else. Over time, things get stale and the heart starts to drift. And, and that passion that was once there, it's no longer there. You're still going through the motions, but your heart is somewhere else. So, folks, just like in a marriage when that happens, how many know it's a dangerous place for a marriage to be? Because now you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to temptations. You're vulnerable for other things that might grab your attention. So it is with the Lord. If you don't guard your heart and, and, and allow it to continually be um, warm toward the things of the Lord, something else is going to come in and take that place and, and potentially draw you off. So we need to, in order for us to make sure that what Revelation is talking about, not losing our first love, there's a few things that we need to do. I want you to write this down. The Father calls us back to our first love by first leading us to repentance. Leading us to repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to do what? To lead us to repentance. Now that explains why, why we can see people, even in the body of Christ, doing knucklehead things, and they're still breathing. Come on, somebody. Because God is kind. He's not giving us what we deserve. He gives us the grace that we need. But the purpose of his kindness, the Bible says, is to lead us to repent or to change directions or to, or to change our minds. He's being patient and loving with us. That's why he says in Revelation 2.4, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove that lampstand from its place unless you repent. In, that, in, that, uh, in those verses, he says it twice. He says, repent twice. Why? Because repentance is the key to reestablishing our relationship with the Lord, especially if things have gotten stagnant or off track. Repentance involves a change of mind a change of heart, and always, always a change in direction, i.e., 
I've got to identify the thought or the, or the attitudes or the actions that I'm now engaged in that have been drawing me away from, from a wholehearted commitment, and I need to ask God's forgiveness and repent of it. And I'm going the wrong way, whatever it is, okay, whatever it is. Maybe I'm going to the bar, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting drunk, or I'm, I'm, I become coarse with my language toward my husband or my wife, or whatever my behavior is, and I recognize that this behavior is drawing me away from the things of the Lord. I repent, I turn away from it, and I start following back after, after God's heart, and I give him a wholehearted commitment to him. Now, when we do that, we position ourselves for refreshing by receiving God's forgiveness, he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. He's not going to beat us over the head. He forgives us and the cleanses from all unrighteousness. And then we can renew our commitment to, the, to do the first works of our faith. Now, understand when it says the purpose of the first works, that word first means foremost. Foremost in time, in place, in order, or importance. And the word works is defined as toil or as an effort or, an occu or occupation. In other words, if you find that you've left your first love for the Lord, we have to get our priorities back in order and start doing the most important things again. And yes, it's obviously going to involve effort. There is no magic wand when it comes to you can, uh, guarding your heart and walking. I cannot walk this walk with you. Your mom can't do it. You have to say, Lord, you are first place in my life, and I'm going to start living that way. The Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that's working in us. So it's a dual effort. It takes both of us. Now, it, it, he's already done all the heavy lifting. We know that, right? He did that on the cross. He paid for everything for us, but he does require for us to say, okay, I'm going to cooperate with the process. When I say he does all the heavy lifting, it reminded me of when my kids were small and now the, and now the grandkids. You, you, you went shopping, right? And, and when you got to your house to take the groceries out of the car and your, your three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old, uh, dad, can I help you? And you've got this big heavy thing. And practically speaking, he's not going to help you with that box very, very much, but he grabs the corner of it, and in his mind, he's helping you carry this load in. But the truth of the matter is, daddy's doing all the lifting. And that's how it is with our walk with the Lord. But he still requires us to do our part in terms of growing and keeping a heart that's warm toward him. Amen? We have to stay in love with him. Now, practically, how do we do that? What, what are some things we can do? Check your prayer time. Have you been talking to the Lord? Now is a good time to recommit to, to, to spending some time in prayer. I'm not saying all, all day, but keep a spirit that's open to communication with him. How about your time in worship? Uh, are you meaningfully engaging in those opportunities that God gives you to, to worship him? How about time in God's word? The Bible says man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so if you're not spending any time in God's word, you are spiritually starving. Sure, you might be gaining weight because you're going to the McDonald's or whatever, 
But spiritually, you're starving. If you're not spending regular time in God's word. Oh, by the way, we're going to be starting the life groups again. And I want to give everyone an opportunity to jump into those Bible studies because that's how you feed your spirit. Amen? The giving of your resources, the serving of others. We're going to be talking about all that stuff this year. Now, each of these activities is designed to deepen our intimate relationship with the Lord. But it comes when we acknowledge that my heart has been drifting. And so God calls us to repent and start doing the works that we've done before. Secondly, he tells us, your next fill-in is to owe no man anything except the continuing debt of love. Owe no man anything except the continuing debt of love. We find that in Romans 13.8. Owe nothing to, to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal. You must not covet. These and all other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Listen, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law. And so the first thing he tells us is if I'm, if I'm walking in love, there's certain things I won't do to my neighbor. I'm not going to steal from them. I'm certainly not going to kill them. These are just the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to cover their things. I'm going to walk. And so so if I'm going to, the commandment of love fulfills all the righteous commandments of the law. If I walk in love toward my neighbor, I'm, I'm not going to break God's laws in any way toward them. It does no harm to your neighbor. But secondly, that verse tells us that, that we need to fulfill our obligations, meaning let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? It shouldn't be, I, I swear, my mother's grave, or this and that, or, you know, and then your fingers are crossed behind you. Your word is your bond. And so if you say you're going to do something, even if you've signed to do something, the Bible says let your yes be yes and your no be no. Owe no man anything. In other words, he says, I don't want you to be a slave to debt. Because when you become a slave to debt, then, then you are you know, you're basically living for the piece of paper. I owe, I owe. It's off to work I go. <laughs> and because we choose not to live on a budget, listen to me, our, our, our devotions become divided because now I'm chasing after the dollar bill rather than chasing after the Lord. Come on, somebody. And so the scripture tells me to owe no one anything. So at the beginning of the year, it's smart to put some plan in place, especially in the economy that we're going to be facing that we just came out of. And I I don't speak this on anybody, but it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So you're going to have to start living on a budget. I suggest if credit cards is a problem, cut those credit cards up. Get rid of them and start to get to that place where the scripture says, oh, no man, anything. But there's one debt the Bible says has to remain outstanding. And what is that? That's the continuing debt of love. 
That's what the scripture says. And so I should, owe, I should not owe you anything. If I owe you money, I should pay you money. If I said yes to something, I should make my commitment. I don't owe you anything. But there's one debt that I, I, I will never fulfill. The scripture says I will constantly owe you the continuing debt of love. And that love is defined in the scriptures. Why? Well, it tells us why. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says love, this true love, biblical love, love never fails. The New Leaven says it this way. It says, it says it lasts forever. Fake love, conditional love, I love you today as long as you're doing whatever I want and then I fall out of love with you tomorrow. That's all fake love, okay? But the Bible talks about and defines what true love is. Look it up when you get a chance. It's in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians, love is faithful, love is patient, love is kind, it, you know, holds no records of wrong, all this other stuff. Look it up. It, the Bible defines it for us. Now, here's why. 1 Peter 4, 7, 8, it says, the end of all things is near. Someone say, Jesus is coming. Okay, this whole stage that's being set is going to eventually come to an end. The end of all things is near. It says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, above all, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Question, anybody in here perfect? Don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. Because then I have to accuse you of being delusional as well. <laughs> the truth is, every single one of us, apart from Jesus, who walked this planet, are imperfect. We, are, we have our faults. We have our imperfections. There's a church that has coined that phrase, no perfect people. No perfect people. I always tell people, if you find the perfect church, don't go. Why? Because when you get there, you're just going to mess it up. So in order for us to stay in relationship with each other, we have to allow uh, the agape love. The Bible talks to you. We use the same word for love for everything. I love my wife. I love my dog. I love chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and so we use the same word. But the Hebrew and the Greek, they, they differentiate. They have, the, they have the word eros for romantic love or sexual love. They have the word phileo for brotherly love. And then, the, and then they have the word agape. And that's the word that's using. And it means faithful and committed. Faithfulness and committed. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have an He has that type of love for us. How many know he's faithful and he's committed to us? And he wants that in our lives as well. In order for us to stay in relationship with each other and with him, we need to lead uh, by, by loving that way. Now, Jesus said they will know we are Christians by our agape love for one another. And he says the greatest commandment is to love God and with all our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So true love leads us to repentance and it will owe no man anything except the continuing debt of love. And that basically gives us our greatest, your next feeling, victory in Christ. Victory in Christ, Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us, listen, listen, from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. 
we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, somebody. Someone, someone say, I'm loved. I am loved. Say it like you mean it. I am loved. Folks, let that sink in. Let that sink in. What are you facing today going into this new year? Is it uncertainty? Is it, is it, is it hardships? Is, is, was there problems at your work? How about a bad report? The Bible says nothing shall separate us. I got a, a, a text message from a dear brother, from a sister, who, who's, her and her husband used to come here for many years. Now they watch us online. They moved. But to pray for the husband, he's one or two days away from, from, from graduating to be with the father. And my encouragement to her is we certainly will pray, but we're also going to rejoice <laughs> because he's going to see Jesus face to face. Come on, somebody. The scripture tells us that we don't have to, we don't have to grieve like any other man. Because what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? He names it in here. Not, 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 not demons, not the present, not the future, not death, nor life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, Paul called it all momentary light afflictions in light of what God has planned for us in eternity. 2 Corinthians 4.13, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with, present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is, what is not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Come on, somebody. Now, folks, this is the problem that we have in our culture. We do the opposite. We don't fix our eyes on what is unseen. We fix our eyes on what is seen. We fix our eyes, and then we let that control our emotions and our behavior. We, we fix our eyes on the, on the clothes we wear. Well, the, the, the clothes, <laughs> this is going to turn to garbage in, in no time. The, the, the chairs that you're sitting on is gonna, it's not going to be here after a while. The car that we drive, okay? The money in your bank account. <laughs> you ain't taking none of it with you. Come on, somebody. And so we fix our eyes on things that are seen, and then we allow the things that are seen to, 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 to upset us because here today and going tomorrow. That's unstable stuff. The Bible says do the opposite. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. And because everything that we have seen comes from what is unseen. And what's unseen is what's going to end up 
in eternity. Amen? And that's what Jesus promised for every single one of us, eternal life, because every single one of us will have, has an eternal soul that will live forever somewhere. If you're living just for the here and now, you have aimed low, and you're going to hit your target, and you're going to be disappointed. The Bible says, look up, because Jesus says, what does it matter if you gain the whole world? What is the lottery up to? A billion? He says, what if you win the lottery? What if you got your little Tesla and you got your little mansion on the thing? The average age on, on this planet is 75 years. If you are just living for the here and now, and there are many people living just for the here and now, you've aimed low. He says, what does it matter if you gain the whole world? Let's say, no, you're, you, <laughs> you're sitting on top of the world. And in the end, lose your soul. For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is the lover of our souls. And so he gives us eternal glory or eternal life. I want you to write that down. And to understand it clearer, listen to the same verse in the New Living Bible. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians 4.13. 18. It says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we do not look at the troubles we can see now. So we do not look at the troubles we can see now. So we do not look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Whatever you're facing in this life, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Those who are, who are joining us online, whatever you're facing in this life, God's love can and will see you through it. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And even if it's something that at the end of the day takes your life, the love of God secures a position for the believer in eternity. As far as we're concerned, it's not goodbye. It's until we meet again. It's graduation day for you and I. Come on, somebody. John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As I've stated, we're all going to live forever somewhere. Don't trade what's temporary for the eternal. 
and don't confuse routine, I'm going through the motions, for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And don't neglect the lover of your soul. He gave it up for us to be in relationship with us. And if we allow the flame to become stagnant and your heart to drift, you are going to miss what God has for you in this life. He is our first love. And so as we come to a close this morning, where are you in your relationship with him? Can you honestly say, yes, Pastor Rick, the passion that's burning in me is the same as when I first gave my heart to Jesus. Or if you're being honest, things have drifted just a little bit. Yes, you're going through the motions, and I'm not saying you're doing necessarily bad things, but your heart has come off of that first love. The Bible says, I have this one thing against you. You're doing everything right. He says, men judge by outward appearance, but God is the one that judges the heart. You're doing everything right, but I'm looking right into your heart. And I'm saying, you, you, you have left your first love. And he's calling us back to making him a priority in our lives. And so as it is, we're coming to the communion table today and there's something going on during the time of the early church as it surrounded the communion. Paul said that there are many of you going to an early grave because you're not rightly dividing what's going on in your heart concerning the things of the Lord. And he calls us to repent before we come to that table to make sure that we have a heart that's all in for Jesus, that he is a priority in our lives. Because when you make him a priority, he makes you a priority. Amen? And my Bible says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. And so if you're here today, if you're listening online, and you know in your heart there's things going on that's pulling you away from the things that God will have for you? Repent. Ask his forgiveness and he will forgive you. If you're here today, you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord and the Spirit is drawing you, it's going to be my pr privilege and my honor is to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him, the love of your soul. There is no greater commitment you can make than to acknowledge what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, and say, I accept that as a gift in my life. And so right before we go to communion, I want to just give everyone an opportunity. If you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, or you need to make a recommitment at the beginning of this year to your first love, now is the time to do it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and acknowledge, well, let's take care of those who have not yet accepted Christ yet.
that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I, and I, I believe that Jesus came and died for me. From this day forward, I, com- I bow my head and I bow my heart to you. And I ask you to come into my life and to come into my heart. I believe that you came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. You died a cruel death on the cross, not because of your sins, but for my sins. And on the third day, you you rose again, and you said, because you live, I shall live as well. Today, I surrender my life to you. And if you're here today, and you have accepted Christ, but you acknowledge that I've done some drifting in my heart, today I want to repent and come back to where I need to be. I'm recommitting my life to you, Lord. Making a new commitment, come into my life, breathe new life into me, forgive me in the areas of drift, whatever it is, and, and rekindle that old flame that you have for me. I recommit my life to you right now. Now, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you pray to receive Jesus or recommit your life to Him today, just by a show of your hand, just slip it up. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see you. I, Anyone else? I see your hand. I see you too. God sees you. Listen, hands going up all over the place. And if you're if you're listening online, I don't have to see your hand. God sees your hand. It's the beginning of the year. You're recommitting or committing your life to Jesus. Father, you saw the hands go up all over the place. I pray, Father, that you would bless them and that you renew, you would renew that fire within them and that passion within them to start going after you and hearing your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.